0: Minnesota Gardening Podcast. My name is Brad Tabke and it's my honor to have you here with us today talking about plants and trends for the 2022 season in garden centers and just the green industry in general. I have my great friend Heidi Highland is with us today. She owns Heidi's Grow House and Heidi's Lifestyle Gardens and just an absolute all-around amazing, amazing person. And it was so much fun talking with Heidi. Our, our conversations always go long, which is a beautiful thing, at least to me, hopefully you as the listener think the same thing there. So it is uh, just great to have Heidi here with us for episode 18 of the Minnesota Gardening Podcast. And so you can go to minnesotagardening.com and grab the show notes. We have links to the grow house. We have links to the other things that we talked about in this episode and hope you check those out there. But here is Heidi Highland talking about trends in the garden center industry. All right. We have another great guest for you today, Mike. Good friend Heidi Highland he is here with us today to talk about the garden center and nursery industry and trends and what what people are looking for and what people are seeing today. So Heidi, thank you so much for being with us.
1: Oh, thanks for asking me, Brad. It's fun to spend time with you and talk about one of our mutual passion plays.
0: It's a, it's a beautiful beautiful thing. And before we get too far into this, will you let everybody know you've got you hands in a lot of different aspects of the green industry and what you do. So will you let folks know what, what you do and about the Grow House and just all those uh, different aspects of your world?
1: Yeah, of course. So the Grow House is a five and a half acre nursery and garden center in Corcoran, western suburbs of uh, Minneapolis. And we focus on... Oh, sort of sustainable opportunities out there. We're trying to do the next iteration of Garden Center a little bit differently. So we're we're just six years young, but my background has been over forty years of fine gardening service, seasonal switch out of containers, maintenance of you know, estates, commercial sites, that sort of thing. And then we've also got a landscape um division which is design installation for landscapes so i'm really lucky i fell fell into this when i was 17 and i couldn't have picked it if i tried i think that that uh, god had a vision for me and i found this at a very early age
0: It's a beautiful thing, and I highly highly encourage everybody to go to the Grow House. It's just a really cool place with a lot of uh, really great things, and it's one of the reasons why I wanted to talk to you, Heidi, is because we're at Minnesota Gardening focusing on ecology and landscaping for more than just aesthetics for life cycles of plants and making sure that we are looking at a more holistic approach to how we do landscape. And so just wanted to talk with you about trends in landscaping, what how you guys are doing the whole garden center thing differently in order to meet the needs of the next generations of gardeners. So first, let's just start with the trends and what you're seeing and what customers are asking for in your uh, garden center that may be different from uh, the past.
1: Yeah, you know, I think it's kind of an overarching idea, Brad, that everybody's looking for healing and food and paying attention to water. And these green trends have been around for a long time, but we're we're focusing on it anew. I mean, we're the it industry since COVID and something that many of us have practiced for a long time, more are coming to. And so it's really an exciting time to highlight our industry with new audiences. And I think the, one of the, the reasons that gardening plants in general are so popular is because there's something for everyone. You know, whether you wanted to do one small house plant or a huge vegetable garden. There's diversity. There's choice. There's inclusivity. It isn't sort of, you know, you have to cookie cutter it and do it that way. There's opportunity for everybody. And so that that feels good, right? It, it doesn't have to be overwhelming, although I think it is. I think you and I both know that there's so much to discuss in this industry that it can feel overwhelming. Right. Um, and so if people just sort of jump in where it makes sense to them, it makes it easier.
0: Yeah. And having that entry point is really important. And I want to, I want to dive a little more into the healing side of things as to, and, and we in, in the podcast and I haven't really talked about that a ton. And, but you're totally right of, of getting, getting your hands in the dirt and, and getting out into nature and those types of things are incredibly important. So how, how does healing really factor into landscape and gardening?
1: yeah you. there's a there's a huge health and wellness standpoint not only for our well-being as individuals but from the ecosystem and and so those are sort of two different silos that that don't work within a vacuum right we cross-pollinate these benefits within how we live and breathe but i as you know brad but for your audience i um, bring horticultural therapy as a treatment modality to various populations and you know, we we know that when you touch soil, it uh, releases serotonin in our bodies. You really it, there's a bacterium, a natural bacterium in the soil, that causes this to happen. And so we know that we're supposed to be in nature because we really get innate benefits. But you know, if you want to sort of intentionally try to do it too, we know house plants are so popular now, right? And One of the reasons is because people know that it cleans their indoor air. And so you're bringing the outside in. And heck, in Minnesota, where we're talking right now in the middle of winter, you want to try to bring the outdoor in as much as you can when you're in our shoulder seasons. So the houseplants are so popular because of that. I also think the reason houseplants are is because there's lots of community building around it. There's opportunities to share about your plants, either on social media or with events and gathering. There's lots of education. People are liking learning. There's plant swaps. So that whole sort of community building in COVID, we've felt isolated, and plants are giving us a way to connect with one another. And that's been then super fun. There, there's also a way to easy entry for houseplants, right? You can do an easy pathos. Everybody probably is familiar or will be soon with that very basic plant or a spider mm-hmm. plant. You know, the things your grandmother had and passed down to you. Maybe it's a Christmas cactus. You know, it's hearkening to times of old. That feels good to us as well. And then now, if you get a little more adventurous, you can try to propagate those really, you know, hard to curate plants. So that's really been special, too. You can enter at any point with the house plants.
0: And you guys at the Grow House have been doing... As I watch you on on social media and what has been happening there, you do just a tremendous job with that community building side of landscape. And by having classes in uh, in the greenhouse and and once I mean, there's a lot of space in a greenhouse to be able to to separate people and do that during once uh, we kind of got the go ahead for being able to do that during COVID pandemic. But you guys were really great about getting people. In and uh, getting people to interact and, and doing that. So how, how do you feel like that is how are your customers and how are people in who like gardening? How is that building for what they want to do next into the future as we think about that and community gardens and, and just that sense of connection?
1: Yeah, it's a really good question, Brad, because people are really striving for a community and and we were relevant really pretty pretty much right away. And people feel safer outside, if you will. They want to gather, but they like outdoor spaces. And that's not just from a safe COVID standpoint, I believe. It's that we're in nature. We're out totally. there immersed in that environment. And so, of course, it feels better. And so our our uh, make and takes or our workshops are really some of the most important and successful events that we have because you're learning and it's hands-on and you're you know maybe you're with your mother or your best friend and or maybe you're meeting somebody new maybe you just needed to get out of your home office for a minute and you wanted something to tr- to try something you've never done before so those crafts with plants are hugely important and it you know it spins into you know making a moss wall or a coca plant, you know, where you put the plant in the moss and moss just feels good and smells good. And so all of those things hit all of our senses. The, somebody told me once that when all of your senses are engaged all at the same time is when we're most fully alive. Hmm. And where does that happen? In a garden. Right. And, and so, you know, we're experiencing all of these things things, in it together and it it feels great. You know, macrame, making your own hanging structures, macrame, doing a dried fruit garland. You know, it's, it's spinning into more than just creating a summer container to take home. That's hugely important as well. And we will always have those types of classes. But folks are asking for a little bit more than your basic. I don't know that we'll have a class for this, but, you know, have you seen those acrylic flower jewelry pieces? Yeah. People are putting a dried flower into acrylic and then hanging it on an earring. So we're trying to, you know, drape flowers all over us as much as we can and we try to layer that sort of the, the local makers into all that we do there at Grow House as well. You know, whether it's, you know, curated planters and there's, you know, somebody is making the planters, whatever's locally made, we try to highlight because we like to support small businesses and uh, customers are looking for that as well. So that, that health and wellness as individual, we, we see it in many um, different opportunities and it, it doesn't like i said earlier it doesn't happen in a silo it is totally cross-pollinated within the 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 healing realm for our our personal well-being
0: and with your like your personal gardening and, and things we've known each other. I was trying to think earlier and I think that we've known each other for 15, almost 20 years now, Heidi. It's, it's been a while. I met you not long after we moved to Minnesota and I've known that you do a lot of really cool things in your gardening with incorporating, um, fruits and vegetables and different types of, different types of things that people normally wouldn't put into or wouldn't think about putting into an ornamental perennial garden or different things like that. Is that, are you seeing that as a trend for what customers and what people are wanting to do with their gardens as well
1: yeah totally brad and it has been fun um, knowing you all of these years and our different iterations of ourselves but but isn't it nice to have this constant still of these plants to know that plants heal and from an ecosystem standpoint you know certainly we're talking about native plants and they're more drought tolerant and they they certainly attract the pollinators and You know, I think it's good to kind of clarify, too. People will say, I want a pollinator garden, and I'll challenge them to consider, well, your whole backyard is a pollinator garden potential, and it doesn't have to be, you know, sort of a postage stamp of, oh, there's my rain garden. The whole landscape works as a functional opportunity, and it should all be for stormwater management or keeping water On our land. Oh, there's so many things I'm thinking of, Brad. I'm not. I'm trying to figure out which in which direction I'm going (laughs) to go first.
0: Um, You can whichever way you want, Heidi.
1: You know, we native plants are really important. We know that, right? Doug Tallamy has amazing books about it. There's there's so much that we can find about natives and native vars. A native var is a cultivar of a native, right? Like the native Minarda, in my opinion, isn't the greatest plant. It it kind of you know is blurpily colored. It's kind of tall. It lodges or tips over. It can powdery get powdery mildew. mildew, right? So so if you have a cultivar of that native, you know maybe Garden View Scarlet that's hybridized to have a brilliant red flower. It's a little bit shorter and stouter. It's a stockier stem, and it doesn't get powdery mildew as much. Maybe that's okay that you have a native R. I believe that it's okay. I believe that we can have choice, and we don't have to be told you have to have all natives. Nobody feels good about being told what to do, and so there's choice and I think so it all again comes back to education. People are really loving to learn now. What does it really mean to have an or what does that mean to have a pollinator garden and sometimes these it's verbiage, right, and it's just semantics. And if you're making good choices that are good for you and the planet, you can feel happy about that, you know. So we know that these native plants attract pollinators. And, you know, if you leave them up for winter interest, it provides food and habitat. All of that, again, is a closed-loop system where the ecosystem is working in harmony together. You know, we, we talk about... Pollinators and and it makes me think of bee lawns. University of Minnesota Bee Squad here has made Minnesota leading the world in our understanding of how our gardens can work with us for the benefit of not just honeybees, which aren't native, but our local bees. And they've, the U of M Bee Squad has worked to develop a bee lawn where your whole lawn becomes an ecosystem for pollinators. And I have a bee lawn that I mow high. I keep my mower deck, you know, four to six inches high, so that those plants that are in the bee lawn, which include, you know, blooming plants, prunella, purslane, plantain, thyme, can all bloom and attract the bees, and I don't mow the flowers off, right, so that the bees can be there. That's just an important thing to consider. Now, does it work for everybody? No. Does everybody want to do that? Certainly not. But many people do, and it's good to dispel the myths of things like, oh, my gosh, there's going to be bees in my lawn, and I'm going to step on them, and they're going to sting me. Never once has that happened to me in the eight years I've had my bee lawn, so we, it's an opportunity to talk and educate about this. And so, yeah, more people are wanting to do that. And more people are – I'm sorry. Go ahead.
0: No, I was just going to ask. And so do you when, – when you say more people are wanting to do that, do you think trying to push at least my personal boundaries on things and understanding where folks are at? Because if you – like you can definitely tell that in my – bubble of humans that I interact with both online and in person that thinking in a more holistic way and and thinking about the ecosystem in our yards and at our homes is becoming more and more of an important thing to them. And then like as you talk about bee lawns and, and planting native and, and those types of things, do you think that that message is getting out to the consumers in in general, or are there nerds like me who are just the ones that are that are concerned and 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 working with this kind of thing? Or do you think it's becoming more of a, a well known in the public so that they're the demand is on that side for what they're able to purchase at a garden center when they have, you know, a boxwood that dies, what they what they put back in that place, do they are they just want another boxwood in there, or do they want some other types of things that are more fit with who what in Minnesota?
1: That's a great question, Brad, because I'm probably in the same bubble you are. And so I'm with like <laughs> the nerd bubble. Souls. That's right. And so I, but my, still my sense is, again, many of us have been thumping this for years and it takes time to turn that tide. I tend to look to Europe and the coasts of the United States as my guide. And by the time it gets to sleepy Minnesota, it's easy a decade later. I created the a PowerPoint on water food and healing a dozen years ago and and it's starting to turn. Yes, I do believe that because I th- I think they keep hearing it. What do they say? You've got to hear something 8 times before you really go, "Oh, you know, uh I want to buy a Tesla or whatever." You know what I mean? The first time right. you hear it, you don't necessarily adopt that practice, but it's becoming more mainstream and more understood that, yeah, I think it's at the top of everybody's mind these days, or I'm just not giving up that it needs to be. I'm, I'm, maybe my hope is that, of course, it is. Whether it really is or not, I guess you'd have to ask somebody who's not in my bubble. But, you know, I think legislatively, it's going to become more so, right? Because, you know, if we go back to sort of the idea of rain gardens, and keeping water on our land... You know this, Brad, but the, the whole goal of a rain garden is to keep the water on your land, to clean it, to cool it, to slow it down. So a rain garden doesn't have to be a ditch in your front yard, right? It can, it can be creatively done to achieve those goals. And legislatively now, when you build a commercial site, you have to have a stormwater plan like that in place. And so they're doing it, you know, for big sites. We're not quite there from a homeowner standpoint, but should we be? Maybe, you know, and maybe before the government tells us what to do, maybe homeowners want to adopt this themselves anyway and kind of have a good sense that, yeah, I am taking care of those needs, but I'm doing it in a way that makes sense to me and my landscape versus, you know, the government coming down to it. I worry about our industry and how much we water, certainly. you know it's a resource that can be depleted. And we should protect that and we should be thoughtful about that. And so maybe containers should be more drought tolerant plants, not just really thirsty plants because we know containers take more water than anything else. Mm-hmm. Or maybe that planter should also have some other redeeming benefits. Maybe it should have another stacking function. That's a permaculture terminology. Stacking function in a planter would be, oh, there's pollinator benefit in that planter, as well as the aesthetics. Oh, it's providing foods for me. Oh, I'm overwintering it. It, You know, it has an evergreen or a grass in it that is overwintering, so I'm not simply replanting it every year. I think people are really wanting to challenge themselves in their environments. To make sure that, you know, they're, they're taking care of the water, whether it's rain barrels or rain chains or, you know, thoughtful planters, there's, there's things that we need to do with the water.
0: And Heidi, what sort of leadership role, as you talk about those things that need to happen, what sort of leadership role is, are, is the green industry and garden centers taking in and finding that next step and where things, things go next from an ecological perspective?
1: You know, the, I'm a past president of the Minnesota Nursery and Landscape Association. That's where you and I first met, Brad, was with the m and yep. And it's in a marvelous trade association that's um, really strong and reaching its centennial. And um, I'm very proud to be a part of this um, trade association. And we've partnered with local and national partners to... Um, ensure that there are standards that are set up for water-wise management. And we pull other professionals to come up with what those best management practices are. And then we disseminate that to our um, community, to, to the professionals, and encourage them to then pass them along to homeowners whether it's through the landscape division or through the garden center, there's opportunities on our websites that we can help homeowners make better choices. And one of the areas that it's going into is, is certainly with foods. And, you know, you, you were talking about fruit trees earlier, Brad, and I, I've heard that f- fruit's going to be scarce in 30 years and that we should all plant more of our own fruit. And you look at, you know, Florida freezing in seasons that they're not used to. Or you look at how does it get trucked up here, what they're growing down there. You know, we're all understanding that we need to grow more of our own. And we can grow much more fruit than you would think up here. And, you know, my lemon tree, I summer outdoors... And then winter indoors. And it's still fruiting for me right now. But one of the important things to get my lemon tree to fruit is appropriate food for that lemon tree. And so my vermicomposting bin, my worm composting bin, has amazing, thick, rich food, or worm-wee. They also call it (laughs) worm-wee. My worm, if my, if my lemon tree is struggling, I put a little worm wee on it and oh my gosh, it knows it. And it says, thank you very much. And it flowers and fruits. So the more we can share our simple strategies of what are those BMPs, the more success we have as a world. And, and I think we've all been put on the world to help one another. And when you help one another learn something, whether it's with a backyard, you know, community group or your podcast group, you you feel good about that because you've shared things that have helped one another. And, and I think that's great. One of them, I want to make sure that I, I make another plug for perennial edibles, Brad. Yeah. And, and it's not just a tomato or a basil, but it's perennial edibles like fruit trees, like berry bushes, but how about considering in your landscape to install strawberries as a ground cover? How about blueberries as a hedge? Maybe asparagus instead of a perennial grass, right? Asparagus waving in the wind rivals the look of any perennial grass I've ever seen. So and they can you... be functional and edible. And aesthetic. that Most...
0: Most people only know like the part of the asparagus that we, that we eat in the spring. What uh, will you tell everybody what is waving in the wind with the asparagus? Like how they do that?
1: Yeah. So when you harvest your asparagus, even, I mean, young asparagus, when it's young, you're supposed to let go to don't harvest it. Don't pick those fronds because you want the energy to go into the plant for a year or two, but at grow house, We have several year old asparagus so that you don't have to worry about that and you can harvest it right away. Uh But you're still supposed to put some into the production of the fronds that come up and they look like, well, you know, asparagus fern named such because that's what the foliage looks like on an asparagus like an asparagus fern. And it can get red berries on it. And it then it, it turns to this sort of tawny color in the fall. And it remains. It So it's really a marvelous perennial that you can find it growing in ditches in Minnesota, you know, probably hearkening back to farmsteads of old, right? It can be a marvelous and very easy perennial. We like to put rhubarb in a shade garden instead of a hosta. Certain perennials, you can push the envelope on sunshade, right? And if your edible isn't fruiting, if what you're harvesting from it is its leaves, like rhubarb, kale, spinach, maybe beet foliage, you're harvesting the leaves, you can push it into the shade a little bit further. So how about considering that, rhubarb? Instead of a hot fiddlehead ferns, you know, the fiddlehead part, that's, that's edible, right? Mushrooms, mushrooms are a hot topic these days, not only for the food piece, but for the mycelium and the healthy soils and, and bringing the, the nutritional value back into the soils. There's so many soil scientists out there that are finally starting to get some credibility for all of the work they've done in the lab for years. It's a complex ecosystem in the soil and we need to honor that and, and learn about it. I'm not the one in my company that knows the most about it, but I want to learn more. We've got to pay attention to what we're putting in our soils. And so that, Brad, people are asking about that because they're putting these things into their mouths now too. They're putting, you know, these plant based gardens. They're recognizing that they're putting it into their mouth. They're putting it in the mouth of their children. Their dog might be out there. And should I really be putting, you know, preen into my soil? Should I really be spraying Roundup in my gardens? And it's really exciting to see that homeowners are challenging themselves, that I don't think that feels good anymore. What What should I do as an alternative? And so that's that's really an exciting time that we as professionals can help educate further.
0: That's a. Really beautiful thing because for so long there's just been standard practice is you know you put down uh, weed and feed in the spring to keep the crabgrass away and and we taught and I think that you were involved in helping to develop the class for turf maintenance and taught that for many years about how it. Weed and feed is a really bad thing. You just should not do that across an entire lawn and trying to reduce those number of chemicals that you're using and, and working to get that down as close to zero as you possibly can and to, and to do that. And so it's great to hear that people are, uh, learning and understanding and catching on and just f- getting that feeling that the way we've always done things doesn't necessarily have to be the right thing.
1: Well, exactly. Yeah. And you know, I gotta say too, Brad. Part of it might have been our industry, right? Uh, old school would have been. We thought it was the the BMP of the day. We thought we right. were doing the right thing. And then when we learned that we're not, it's sort of like neonics. Neonicotinoids were the next iteration of um, pesticide after 2,4D. Right? We we thought we were doing something better because it was better for humans. Oh. <gasps> Oh, sidebar, we didn't know it was bad for bees. Okay. Well, now we know it's bad for bees. And now what do we do? And, you know, I don't spray many pesticides. In fact, the the pesticides we spray most for are for deer and bunnies. Those, (laughs) Those are the biggest pests that we find in the garden because I think that the other natural occurring pests Potentially, are okay to stay there, right? There, the, the the environment is trying to figure itself and balance itself out. Now, I don't know. Maybe, maybe we could argue about that with Japanese beetles. But what I do for Japanese beetles is is hand harvest more
0: mm-hmm. than
1: anything else, right? And and then you um, throw it in water, and then you feed it to your chickens. So, so there's way, and they're a protein source. So there's ways that we can choose to take care of issues that aren't harmful to the planet.
0: Right. And I, and Japanese beetles is a great example of, I mean, we've just had obviously a glut of Japanese beetles here in the Metro. It's luckily not all across the state yet at this point, but then for this year, for the first time I've been, I saw just a bunch of winsome fly eggs on the Japanese beetle, which is a parasite that will, a parasitoid that will kill that Japanese beetle and, and help to control the population. And so hopefully as we continue to focus on making sure that we're creating environments for all of our insect friends to, to be able to live and thrive, that more of those winsome flies will help to come and balance out Japanese beetles. And, and by focusing on that, not using as many chemicals and things we're helping to, get that whole ecosystem bolstered and, and continue moving in the right direction.
1: Agreed completely. Because potentially if you use some sort of a chemical, you might not know what it does to the w- winsome flies. Right. And, and so you've just gotten in the way of nature repairing herself. Yeah. Right.
0: Exactly. So Heidi, we have done, as we always do, a fantastic job of talking. So I really (laughs) appreciate you you being here with us today and just sharing your wisdom with uh, all of our listeners. And is there anything that we haven't gotten to yet that you really wanted to make sure to know or anything I haven't asked you yet that you wanted?
1: You know, I guess, thanks for asking that sort of overarching thought, Brad. I, I think the the biggest thing for me is to make Easy entry for anybody to have fun and go outside and play. And, you know, while it's serious stuff that we're doing, it also doesn't have to be heavy. And to enjoy it and just to learn as you go along, that's how we all learned, right? Sharing slips of iris over the fence was how gardening began back in the homesteads. And and we're back to that where we're just sharing information. So I applaud you for this marvelous platform to uh, dispel wisdom and current knowledge. Yeah, come come and see me at Grow House, you and your beautiful family and uh, the rest of your um, audience. I, w- I would love to to show you what we've got going on out there.
0: Absolutely, perfect. Well, Heidi Hyland, thank you so much for being here. What is your website so people can make sure to find Grow House and, and how do you spell Grow House?
1: Grow House is G R O W. H-A-U-S. You know, because I'm um, Austrian, grow house, H-A-U-S. So one word, grow house. And if you go to growhousemn.com, that'll take you to our website.
0: Perfect. And I invite as well. It's just a wonderful place for everyone to go and all sorts of really cool statuary and just a lot of fun things. So uh, make sure to visit Hyde's Grow House out in Corcoran, which is in the West, would you say Northwest Metro?
1: It's just past, does everybody know where Medina Ballroom is? It's right by Medina Ballroom. So many people have gone to a concert there. That's usually what I use for Wayfind. But we're just west of Maple Grove and just a little bit north of Medina.
0: Beautiful. Awesome. Thank you so much, Heidi. And I hope to see you again very, very soon. See what I mean? Heidi is just an absolute joy. So it was wonderful, wonderful talking with her about the green industry and the garden center industry and what what's going on and how consumers are reacting to this new move forward for native plants and ecological landscape and just focusing on the whole landscape and the whole person and so it was great to hear how that is moving forward with her and again you can get the show notes for this episode by going to minnesotagardening.com and searching for episode 18 that will be right there and easy to find and while you're there please click the join button so if you go on the top right after you go to minnesotagardening.com just click join and that will get you into our just awesome growing minnesota gardening community and so there you can download everything that's on uh, minnesota Garden. Gardening community, and you can just check everything out that is going on there and some special exclusive perks by being a uh, part of the community. So, with that, our next episode next week is a solo episode just with me, and we talk about the effects and the future of Minnesota gardening along with ecological garden concepts and how we think that is uh, really going to change the world and how you as a gardener can help to do that and be part of it. So that is there. We'll also talk about some really big upcoming courses and other information that we've got coming on the episode. So I will see you again next week. Have a great, great day.